Welcome to the Grow and Learn podcast, everyone. Welcome to everybody new. Yet another exciting guest is joining us for today's episode. We're going to be talking about the fit we have with our environments. We're going to be talking about how to achieve great lives. I'm bringing in somebody with tremendous credentials, Madeline Claire Weiss. Hello, Madeline. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good to have you, Madeline. Um, as you said, your credentials are mouthful. I'm just going to read a, a small portion of that so that you know <laughs> I, I give you the the, the, the benefits that you, that you bring with your credentials. So Madeline is a Harvard-trained licensed psychotherapist, my, mindset expert, and board-certified executive career life coach. She's also the author of the book called Getting to Great, Five-Step Strategy to Work and Life. And uh, just before we started recording, Madeline uh, and I were talking about uh, the first step to happiness and we were discussing how the environments play such a big role in whether people feel happy and satisfied and the discernment between burnout and boredom. So, <laughs> Burnout. Burnout. Yeah. Tell us more about this first step. This is the first step to your book, right? In your book. Well, that's the first line. The first line. The yeah, it's the first line of the book, and it kind of um, sets the context. And as I was mentioning to you, even though those words are my own, as far as I know, the concept goes back to Darwin, who talked about how the world belongs to those who are best adapted to their environments. What's really great now is we actually get to pick those more than we used to back on the savannah when the modern human brain was forming. We, we have some say in who gets into our lives. We have some say in terms of um, where we choose to work, what kind of work we choose to do. And I can go through the steps with you, but some of this is internal work, mindset work, rearranging the furniture in here. And then some of it is actually picking differently out there. And I was mentioning to you, Serena, that is a process that I noticed that people actually go through in the work that we do together to get from where they are to their smile, you know, so that they're actually having a good time in their lives. So let's talk about this first uh, point, because we know that the, the, the burnout issue is, uh, is, has been almost like a pandemic for the past years. Uh, I think something like 70% of people report to be burned out. What is the difference between burnout and being bored? Like I will, before, before I let you answer, I'll just share my understanding of what I've read about burnout and what I understand from it. So the guests I've had until now on the show relate burnout to having bad relationships with your superior usually. Um, and some of them related to um, a certain offense they've taken during work. So it has to do deeply with emotional distress rather than being overworked. How do you see this? 
I would agree that it has to do with emotional distress rather than being overworked per se, although I do think that people may be sometimes overworked to overcompensate mm -hmm. for other issues that are um, distressing to them. I was mentioning that so many people think they are burnt out when they may be bored out. And what I mean by that, I love the title of your Grow and Learn, because I think a lot of people don't realize how much the tree wants to grow, the bird wants to fly, and so do we. And when we don't, you will hear, I think, a lot of people talk about that they don't see any room for advancement. They feel stuck. It's because they want to grow. Yeah, they hit the and, mm -hmm. and it's not obvious to everybody that that's why they're miserable, because they just want to grow. I was reading um, a large-scale study of CEOs the other day, and they were all talking about, in this study, it was very clear their understanding of how important employee development was. And then I got to the next page where it talks about what they're spending their money on. And it wasn't that, <laughs> you know, it's like everything but that. So there's some kind of disconnect between our human need to grow and develop and to know that people care about whether we grow and develop and whether we're happy in what we're doing. There's a disconnect. People kind of know it should be that way, but there's... Um, so much stress on everybody that people are dealing more in the immediate rather than longer term growth. And it's really costing the healthcare costs of all this unhappiness are through the roof. So, yeah. Well, would you also say that this is a disconnect between purpose or is your definition of purpose actually the, the, the ceiling on the growth? in this case, when, when people are employed? Because I, think, I think that people, I think humans need to feel that they matter. So I think when people are talking about meaning and purpose and that sort of thing, I, I think that goes to the insignificance we as human beings feel. Ernest Becker wrote The Denial of Death. And he won a Pulitzer Prize for that a while back. And the point there was that all humans know it's only a matter of time before that fate befalls us. And there's something about that that is so unconsciously terrifying that we need to feel that we exist and that we make a difference and that we matter and that people notice us. And when we're not feeling that, we're not feeling seen, as they say, today uh, for a contribution we're making, we're hardwired in the brain to suffer mm -hmm. from that. So, And so in the book, this is the first step um, or the first problem, rather. Do you offer solutions to each? That is the solution. Yeah. That is the solution. A, a great life depends on a great fit. It's that great fit that is the solution. Let me break down the great for you, okay? Okay. And I, you might want to ask me at some point 
why I care as much as I do. I think. Oh, I, I will. I will. <laughs> I want to know your story. <laughs> okay. So G. So again, I was wondering, what is it that's working? I mean, you know, I was working with these people. They're all doing really great. And I mentioned I have a very diverse education and training background, evolutionary psychology and brain science. I, I studied at Veda Vedanta, um, Eastern religion for over 20 years. And so there's no telling what tools I'm pulling out of the toolkit at any point in time with a client I may be working with. So I was thinking, what is it that's working here? And I, I kind of laid everything out and I took a look and I thought, what do these people all have in common? And it was this process or strategy that I think is that growth process of getting from where they are to that better fit that brings them the health and happiness we all want and can have. And so I was very excited when I noticed it could break down into the acronym GREAT, because I love that word. So the G mm-hmm. is for grounding. So when people reach out to me initially, they're not saying to me, I want to have a great life. I want to get to great. What they're saying is that they're unhappy and they want some help with the pain of that. They don't even necessarily know that they can have a great life and that they have everything they need to make that happen already. But I know that because I see it over and over and over again. So I hold that space until they're able to step into it and own it and run with it. So that's the G, that grounding in the understanding that it is possible to have a great life and that you have everything you need to get you there. The R If a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and recognize, we have to recognize who we are. And people don't necessarily, you know, they know who everybody else thought they should be. They know who maybe even they always thought they should be, but that's not necessarily who they really are, what really matters to them, their interests, their wishes, their hopes, their fears, their strengths, their vulnerabilities, whatever. So getting a better sense of that under our belt. At this point, it's a a psychological um, inquiry of their own self. It's not a metaphysical who they really are. It's more of a psychological study of who they are, correct? I appreciate your question because in my study of Advaita Vedanta, pre-Hindu tradition, there is a different way of thinking about the self, and that is that we are all one. But within that, from a psychology point of view, we're also made up of all the attributes that we were nature nurture, either born with or learned how to use to solve our problems in the world that make us uniquely us. And that's the part that I am talking about here. So once we have a better sense of what makes us tick and what gets in the way, then we go E, exploring. Mm -hmm. 
And it's exploring both the internal and external environments. And sometimes people will come up with ideas like, I want a PhD in economics, or somebody will decide that they um, don't like the American healthcare system. So they picked up their whole family and went to New Zealand, and everybody was all excited about it. So it doesn't always mean as big a change as that. Sometimes people go exploring and find out that they fell in love with exactly where they were because they tweak things in their brains. But the exploring phase is more like a dream state, like what if and what if this and maybe I'll do that and I'll talk to someone and find out what it's like to be this. And it's exploring but we can't stay stuck there because then nothing happens. So the A is for action. May I ask, and we'll, you, may I ask you something on course. the exploring part? Yeah. When you work with your clients and you let them explore, do you give them like a homework and say, go explore on your own, you know, daydream? Or do you sit them and lead them through a, some sort of a hypnotherapy session? Or how do you do that? Good, good question. At the end of every session with my clients, there are action steps, but I don't assign them. They're a product of the conversation that just happened. And then therefore, based on what we talked about today, what action step would you take along that path. I do some NLP stuff sometimes where we do visioning work and that that kind of thing. And lots of times they'll come up with, um, I want to learn more about whatever it is. And I'll say, who do you know who's already doing that? And maybe they'll decide they want to get in touch with so-and-so. Um, Daniel Gilbert wrote... Um, a book on happiness called Stumbling on Happiness. And he said that human beings are notoriously terrible at predicting how they're going to feel about doing whatever it is down the line. And that what he suggests is talking to people who are actually doing it. It doesn't mean it'll be exactly the same for you, but you'll get a better idea than in a vacuum trying to imagine what that will be like for you based on not a whole lot of what it's really like out there. So the E is the exploring and the A is acting on it. William James said that, uh, and he's um, supposedly the father of modern psychology, only that's a long time ago. He said that action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without it. Like if we sit there and do nothing and complain, one. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. It's real simple and really powerful. And then if you're really doing something outside of your comfort zone, you're going to feel it. So T is for, and you can, I always say, pick whichever word you think will work for you. Taming, tending, or tackling the normal, natural, inherent, predictable resistance to change. 
Mm-hmm. So that's your G-R-E-A-T. I was just talking with a client this morning, and this will lead you to my story, um, who made such just dramatic growth in his life. He had a story from his childhood that he thought he was smarter than his parents and he could run the household a whole lot better than they did because they didn't know what they were doing. And lo and behold, he found himself, because people play out their family histories in the workplace more than they realize that they do. And so he just kept finding himself up against the C-suite trying to convince them that they didn't know what they were doing, but he knew and they should be listening to him. And why aren't they listening to him? And this thing just kept going on. And I finally said to him, I said, you know, go ahead. You can, you can play out that drama uh, for the rest of your life, even if you want to, or instead of finding yourself in environments with people you think are inept, You can choose an environment of people you really admire. And then you're done with that whole thing. And that's exactly what he did. So he started his own business and he picked very carefully, really good talent that he could consult with. People that he thought knew something and were good at what they did. And um, he's just, he's doing beautifully He told me that his daughter just gave him a book for his birthday as a tribute to him and how present he is for her now. So that's another theme that everything is connected to everything else. So the gains people make in one area, we're all just human beings, you know, every, everywhere you go, there are human beings. And so in his his family was a nice, but he and he is really special in that. When I first started working with him, he was roughly the same age as my father was when he passed away suddenly of a stroke, and also has this teenage daughter. He also um, had a stroke a couple of years before I met him. So the likeness in the story is very close. And I work with him a lot on his health. And it's um, really nourishing to me because I always have this feeling if I can help one little boy or girl's mommy or daddy overcome the stresses that interfere with those happy, healthy, prosperous, productive lives. Uh, I'm in. So. Mm, wonderful. I have two questions uh, so far that I'm that I'm keeping while listening to you. Um, so the first one is: Don't we just repeat the same yeah. environments if we don't change anything internally? Or would you say that the environment is able to change us internally? I mean, what goes first? A lot of people say you're going to end up with the same environment if you don't deal with the dynamic you know, with the family dynamic or whatever is causing this um, attitude? Well, as a classically trained psychotherapist, the key is making the unconscious conscious. 
he had no idea that he was doing that. So without realizing what he was doing it, he couldn't make a a conscious decision to either keep banging his head against the wall for the rest of his life, if he wants to, and that's fine, if he wants to do that. But there there was no conscious decision-making going on because because he didn't even know that he was doing it. So the awareness is really key to even so he really- could have theoretically chosen to stay as well. But the, the definition oh. of his ideal environment was not fitting anymore once he realized it, or how would you explain it? He could have stayed. I mean, I work with a lot of people who are trying to figure out whether to stay or go. And for my part, whatever you decide, as long as you're consciously deciding, as long as it's the higher brain, you know, that the lower brain says either, I don't really like what's going on here, or this is amazing. You know, you can err in that direction too, but there's this 30 minute mindset. I didn't say that right. 30 second mindset reset that I teach people how to do. So this is the hand model of the brain and the thumb is like going berserk. And that's the amygdala. And what what happens when this thing gets over agitated is that it kicks the prefrontal cortex offline. Mm -hmm. So this 30 second mindset reset reintegrates the brain and the lower brain can say, I'm a little out of control right now about whatever. Can you help? And the higher brain says, thank you for sharing that with me. I got it from here. So do you actually use your hand when you do this exercise? Um, When I'm talking about the exercise, I use my hand because it's, um, What's his name? Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain. And I think I think the hand model of the brain is a good model. But no, do you want to do the exercise? (laughs) Oh, it sounds interesting. Yeah, let's do it. It's it's, by the way, on my website for your listeners. Mm -hmm. So and that's MadelaineWeiss.com. And there's a little tab at the top that says Power Breathe. And I call it power breathe because it's so powerful. It just immediately resets. I had this wonderful young man I was working with who had a really great life, actually, but he had a really overactive mind that was driving him nuts. And we did this exercise, this 30-second thing. And at the end of it, he just said, wow. It was like he took a psychedelic drug or something (laughs) because it's so immediately can calm. So you want to do that? Yeah, I want to do that. Okay. I know of something, by the way, that also relaxes very fast. It's focusing on relaxing your tongue because apparently your thoughts are connected neurologically to the tongue and the tongue makes micro movements when you're overly excited thinking. So if you relax your tongue. I'm trying to figure out how to relax my tongue. How do you do that? You just let it rest on the bottom palate. I'm wondering if it's also just bringing your awareness to your tongue. I don't also, think my yeah. awareness is ever. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Thank you. Good one. Okay. So um, we're going to just fall still. You can either gaze downward or close your eyes. And what's different about this breathing, and I'll tell you when we're starting, it's really only going to be three breaths, which takes 30 seconds or less, is that the belly goes out on the in-breath. And it come, the belly comes in on the out-breath, which is different from the anxious breathing we sometimes do. So it's you're not filling your lungs, you're filling your belly. It feels supernatural, actually, to do that. It feels more or less natural. More natural, more. No, good, because a lot of people find it awkward. So good. Okay. And... The more we do it, the more we practice it, the more natural even for for people who might find it awkward. The more we do it, the less awkward it comes. All right. So we're going to just fall still and take our three breaths and fill our belly in through the nose and also out through the nose. Belly out on the in-breath, belly in on the out-breath. And when you're finished, just come back. Feels good. It's relaxing. Did you also know that there's a difference between the breathing, um, the, the natural breathing areas of men and women? Like... For, for women, it's more common to breathe from the chest than for men because with the physiology is carrying a baby, so it's hard to breathe through the stomach. Uh, yeah, good one. Thank you. Yeah, yeah so I, I spoke to somebody who's an expert on this. I think they shared it. I can't remember whom at the moment, but that's an interesting physiological fact as well. Well, I have been aware not of that exactly, and thank you for mentioning that, but I have been aware that telling a woman to stick her stomach out is a totally different thing than telling a man to do that. Yeah, yeah. So this stimulates the polyvagal nerve. So some people call it polyvagal breathing. Uh, singers do this, so they call it diaphragmatic breathing. Mm -hmm. And the polyvagal nerve takes us out of the sympathetic activation into parasympathetic and calms from the um, abdominal area up through yeah. the brain. So that's, that's why that works. And I always say it's like your best friend forever. Once you get the hang of it anywhere Thank you for sharing any, this yeah. anywhere, anytime by anybody for any reason, you know, like, if you're in a meeting, everybody's breathing anyway. So it's it's really a nice way to center yourself at the dinner table with your family or in your meetings, just to. Yeah, thank you for that. And um, so since you shared that your last client that was so special to you had a similar story to yours, I, I want to also bring you to you your story and um, firstly it's 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 really interesting because i also work with groups um 
Sometimes I do the uh, trainings on the silver method. Not on the silver method per se, but some exercises from the silver method. And I've noticed that when people are connected, um, they share similar fates or aspects of their lives. They repeat and there's always a learning and a realization on both sides. So that's why I'm wondering. And that's why also so many psychologists have lived through some trauma themselves that then they teach other people to go out of. Hmm. What is your story? So my story is when I was 15 years old, my father, who was 42 and was a business owner, um, died suddenly. The doctor said it was a cerebral hemorrhage. And my mother said that it was work. And how that happened was because I was and still I think am kind of like a mouthy little girl, very spirited. I went for years because people didn't talk to their kids quite the way they do today, or at least in my part of the world, that wasn't happening. And I went for years thinking that he died of me because I was such a handful. And um, one day I broke down with my mother at the cemetery about that. And that's when she said to me, no, honey, it wasn't you. It was work. So I was I was really worried about my mother financially because no one expected. I don't think he expected that he was going to die so young. So um, she took a job in a steel factory. And I, at 15 was going from storefront to storefront trying to get a job to help her out. And no one would hire me. So I have this thing in me because of that, that it is, well, no one would hire me because there were child labor laws that I didn't know about. People don't hire people who were 15 back then at that time. But no one told me that. So... I didn't know that. And what it left me with is this deep appreciation for the right and responsibility to do work. Which brings me to this point that when I talk about a great life, no one can dictate for anyone else what that is. And I'm very mindful of that with my clients. It's not that I'm ever trying to get anybody to decide one thing or another. I just want them more consciously in charge of the decisions of their lives. We make 35,000 decisions every day. It would be good if a few more of those were conscious because not a lot of them are. But I'm thinking of a woman that I know who, and this is in my book, that she was the eldest of a lot of siblings. And so for her whole life, she was actually working because she was taking care of all these younger siblings. So for her, a great life is that she does volunteer work, but she would never think to get a paid job. 
because she felt that she did so much work for so long that she really wants it to be more discretionary for her. Contrasted with someone like me who was trying desperately to get work and couldn't without understanding why. And so for me, a great life is to be doing what I think of as work. So such different stories frame what feels great to one person or another. And unfortunately, people too often compare someone else's life to their own life and think they're supposed to be like them. And it's not like that. It's that alignment between who we are, what has meaning for us, what matters to us, and then the manifestation of it in the outer world. And it's different for people. What was the first um, professional direction that you went into after you were able to work and maybe you got educated? Oh, yeah, so I, I'm kind of proud of this. I don't know how I did this because I think of myself as having been sort of ditzy back then. I didn't get studious until later on, but somehow I managed to get myself into a really fine program that was the University of Pennsylvania's School of Medical Technology. So I started out in a clinical chemistry lab. I went on to work for the USDA Biological Control Lab, um, Drexel University's uh, cardiac rehab, cardiac catheter lab. And so it was a lot of, you know, blood and guts and bugs and all kinds of crazy stuff like that that I did for a really long time. But I kept, I kept pivoting and pivoting and pivoting until I finally found my way here which just feels like I, I couldn't ask for a more perfect alignment with who I am and what I'm doing. It didn't, it didn't start there, though. However, I really um, appreciate all the uh, various experiences that I've had. I don't know that I would have and this is just me. I don't know that I would have wanted to do the same thing from beginning to end. But you're happy with where you find yourself at right now. Yeah, actually I could see I could see me doing the same thing now from here to the end. Mm -hmm. And I would I would feel very grateful and happy about that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Madeline. Um, Zarina, it's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing um, the te technique, your story. And um, let's direct once again people to your website where they can also find your book, I suppose. It's madelinewise.com. Indeed. Wise. And I want to... Um... Make sure you all know that there is a uh, free strategy session offer there. There's a button that someone could click. And anyone who wants to discuss any of this more, I'd be delighted to hear from you.
Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.